to do in the passion narratives and in the resurrection story. So let's listen to the word of God. It's a long one, but it's a, it's a beautiful story. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, prophet, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures that things about the, yeah, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now for far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road when he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Walking is one of the most therapeutic things we can do. Matter of fact, science says it boosts your mood, increases blood flow and blood circulation to the brain and body. It has a positive influence on your pituitary adrenaline and um, really good for your central nervous system. Um, it helps relieve stress. 
Now, these two guys were walking, one, because they didn't have any other option, right? (laughs) But they were walking and remembering. They were walking because they were grieving, right? It's interesting, uh, matter of fact, Ken brought this up last night, but this story is, is is a fascinating story because it is certainly a theological writing. There's very important things that Luke is telling us here about what it means to live in the resurrected faith. Um, It's trying to tell us and teach us that there's a new relationship with the resurrected Christ. So it's very purposeful in that way. But Luke is also careful with his sources. And the fact that he mentions one man by name, which most likely means his source, wherever Luke got this story, they remember Cleopas. They couldn't remember the other guy's name, <laughs> which, is kind of, which is a kind of an often, it adds to the authenticity of the story, right? So it says they were walking and they were sad. I think my battery, my battery just went dead, so I'll have to talk loudly, Okay. And they were, they were walking out of necessity. They were wanting to get away from Jerusalem for a lot of good reasons, right? And I have to also think that the message of the women may have been just too much. It was one thing to be in hiding, right, and grieving together, but suddenly this idea that Jesus may be alive, I think they turned to each other and said, you know, we need to get out of here. We just need to go home. It's not safe here in Jerusalem, and apparently our friends are starting to lose their minds a little bit. <laughs> I understand it, but let's just get let's just get out of Dodge, right? Let's just let's just let's head towards home. And and it's interesting about grief because they, because this is a, this is about grief as well. Um, Kathy Lamb one time said, "Grief is a walk alone." Others can be there and listen, but you will walk alone down your own path at your own pace. If you're sheared off pain, your raw wounds, your denial, your anger, and the bitter loss. You'll come to your own peace, hopefully, but it'll be on your own in your own time. So there is something very individual about about grief. And so given all the trauma, given all the disappointment, the best man you ever knew, the person you thought was the anointed of God, was beaten beyond recognition and died a capital criminal. So it's time to go home. So it's the late afternoon, early evening of the first day of the week of the first Easter And they're walking along, and suddenly this guy starts walking with them. Now, we're told it's Jesus from the beginning, right? But it says their eyes were kept from seeing him. Now, why? Well, first of all, I think there's multiple instances in all the Gospels, particularly, and I'm thinking of the story in John's Gospel, where they don't recognize the resurrected Jesus. And I think part of that is to say that 
there is a continuity between the Jesus of Nazareth and the resurrected Lord, but there is a radical discontinuity as well. The mystery, the mystery of what happens to us after death is exactly that. It's a mystery. And I know we're tempted to come up with all these kind of folky images of heaven as the great reunion. Like, like <laughs> I didn't make the joke, but everyone could sing, boy, I bet your mom and your dad are really glad to be back together. And I was thinking, well, maybe they were doing okay away from each other for a while. You know? <laughs> they loved each other deeply, but I'm not sure heaven... I'm not sure my definition of heaven would be spending eternity with Marvin Bohr, but that's just my, that's, you know. But not to say mom was a piece of easy, always easy either. But, you know, we have these romantic notions, right, of the great reunion. And I'm not saying there isn't continuity. But part of what the Gospels want us to remind us that we don't really understand what's going to happen next. It's amazing. It's powerful. But there's no point of contact. Very, very little, Right. Um, so I'm always a little suspicious of those. They used to have these people on TV with the after-death experiences. My favorite one was the person who saw both heaven and hell. And uh, I saw this on TV years ago. And uh, the, 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 uh, the host, I think it was a Christian TV show, said, you heard the voice of God? What did he sound like? And the guy said, he had a Jewish accent. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure God does not speak with a Brooklyn accent because I think that's what he thought was a Jewish accent, right? But he may be, I don't know. Anyway, but you see what I'm saying? So we, it's okay that we take comfort in some of these ideas, but I think whatever the resurrection is, whatever the afterlife it is, it's beyond what we can understand. And that's part of what's being said here. They didn't recognize who Jesus was, all right? Now, they're talking to him. Jesus goes, what's wrong, guys? <laughs> Which is kind of, I think it's a strange story. Hey, what's, how's it going? And so, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on? There's a kind of irony. Yeah, this, this, this mysterious figure is very aware of what happened in Jerusalem, right? But I think it's important what, what they say. We thought he was the one who would redeem Israel. He was a prophet mighty in deed and word. Now, those are two lovely descriptions of Jesus, right? But they're too small. They're so much smaller than what Easter is. And I think that's part of the problem we have. We've made God so small that it's not really worth getting up on Sunday morning to come worship God. I think that's part of what's happened. Matter of fact, we've made God so small that God looks a lot like who we look at in the mirror every morning. And that's not a new idea. That's a very old idea. It's called idolatry. Worshiping something other than the living God. And, and the promise of Easter, the first Easter, and, to, and in this Easter tide, is that Easter is so much bigger. There's something being done in the whole cosmos. There's this wonderful text from the early church that says this. It's describing the text first. That time has changed because of passion and Easter. There's a whole new meaning to cosmic praise. 
The cross and the resurrection have inaugurated the last times, marked by the reversal of the symbolism usually ascribed to day and night. The day, despite its proud, self-sufficient brightness, is connected with Christ's suffering and death. Midday becomes darkness. The evening sees the dawn of the Spirit appear with the sacramental water and blood that flow from the side of the crucified. The night is filled with Pascal light. The poles are reversed, and the dawn coming from the cock crow looks forward to the breaking of the day with no sunset, the day of the kingdom. The resurrection maybe happened at dawn or somewhere around that time, but these men are encountering the resurrected Christ as the sun is going down. By the way, and also an aside, Luke is very careful to affix blame for the crucifixion of Jesus. It's not the Romans, but by the way, the Romans are the ones who executed him. It's not the common people, even though they called for the crucifixion. So it's not the, it's not the Jewish people. It's not the Romans. Who does Luke blame? The chief priests and the leaders. So that's a really important thing. The leadership, the religious leadership of the people is who's culpable for killing Jesus. All right, there's a whole other sermon right there, but I'm going to walk away from that right now. And so the story is retold, right? They, they retell the whole story, everything we just had. It's almost kind of redundant, right? But they tell them what they've heard. And then they sit down. And when do they finally recognize Jesus? In the breaking of the bread. And as they were remembering, as they see Jesus, that he disappears, all right? Just when you thought it couldn't get weirder, it just does, right? <laughs> okay, he's there and then he's gone. So whatever the resurrection is, you can disappear, appear, apparently. But they said this, then our hearts burn when he opened the word to us. Now, there's a whole other side topic, exactly what Jesus was telling them, okay? And this is also an important part of the early church story, the retelling of the Hebrew scriptures through the lenses of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. But for our purposes today, what's I think really important to keep in mind is that our relationship with the resurrected Christ is demonstrated in this story. When we speak of the word of God, when we talk of Christ, when we talk of the things of the faith, when we dive into the Bible, there's an opportunity for the resurrected Christ to burn in our hearts once again. You really are not on your own out there to figure out your own spirituality. Thanks be to God. I have enough trouble putting together an Ikea piece of furniture. <laughs> All right? <laughs> right? The most important thing in our lives, for instance, well, the doctor says I need heart surgery, but I think I can do this myself. I have a mirror. I've got WebMD. I think I can do it. 
We've got a balloon or something, and I, I got a hose in the garage. I think I can get this. I think it's all right. That's absurd, right? Yet your spiritual life is more important. As important as your heart is, it's really important, by the way. You know that. Your life of God is, is even more important. And so the gift that the resurrected Christ gives us is the scriptures, right? But the scriptures made alive through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And in the breaking of the bread, they didn't see Christ until they broke bread together. And the, and the implication here is the sacramental breaking, even though it's maybe just a meal. But clearly what's being taught here is that we encounter the resurrected Christ through the word proclaimed and studied, which can burn in our heart, and through the breaking of the bread, through the sacrament. John Calvin, who was uh, the intellectual founder of our tradition, said this, Whatever we find, wherever we find the word of God surely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to the institution of Christ, there is the church of God, the people of God. That's really what Calvin means. So as we prepare ourselves to encounter Christ in our daily living, in our prayers, we are given the extra gift as the church when we gather together to share the word in the sacrament. There is an opportunity for us to encounter the living Christ. Where two or three are gathered together, he promises to be there. The Christ that they are talking about here is the same Christ you and I know. It's the resurrected Christ. The only Christ that Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament knew, was the same Christ that you and I know, the resurrected one. Now, it's an interesting thing. Jesus said he would not share this meal. Remember, we talked about this on Monday, Thursday. He said, I will not share this meal again with you until I come in my kingdom. So is the resurrection the coming of God's kingdom? Well, in many ways, no, it's not. There's still things that have to happen. It's certainly not the kingdom of God out there right now. So there's a not yet But the kingdom of God is in here. And because it's in here with us, we're supposed to take it out there. <laughs> we're supposed to bring that resurrection power and hope out to this world, to our a dying world, an angry world, a world that's afraid, a world that's self-destructing, But on this week after Easter, the same fire that burned in their hearts, the same vision that they had is available to, to us so that we can take that good news, not only out there, but that good news can comfort us here. That we know that our only help, hope in life and death is the true foundation of our resurrected Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I think we're going to switch the order here. I'm going to invite you to continue your worship by giving to God your offerings and your tithes.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let you stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these good gifts that you've given us, and we thank you for your love and hope that we have in your resurrected Lord. Now take these offerings, many may use to your kingdom coming, both here and now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.